Hello, I'm Susan Dunlop and welcome to episode seven of Coffee and Contemplation with Women. Uh, the idea behind the podcast series is for women from every decade of life in Australia and abroad, from 10 years to 119 years of age, to contribute their stories, answer questions, and in doing so, take time for themselves to ponder some areas of their life they might never have or haven't done so in a very long time. Today, we're going to meet Linda Valines in Southern California. Welcome, Linda. Hi, Sue. Hey, lovely to see you or, and talk to you. <laughs> Same. <laughs> lovely to be here. Uh, Linda is a tricenarian in terms of decades of life, so a woman in her 30s. Um, she said she's never been called that before, so um, <laughs> it's the first time for everything. Okay. Um, Linda and I first met in Kochi in Kerala, India. Uh, we'd both flown in on separate flights the night before and Linda walked in and joined me at the lunch table. Uh, I recall, A, being really grateful for her to come and say hi because I was pretty nervous to be there on my own as the only Australian woman in the group. Uh, it was my first trip alone away uh, overseas to India even and the group of people I'd never met before. So it was... Um, I was very grateful for, for Linda to um, come and adopt me for the trip, really. <laughs> um, in the first three seconds that you do, you know, when you first meet someone and you um, presume straight away uh, about that person, I'd labelled Linda as a young, hip traveller, single, studying alternative medicine. She was quiet like me and we had a commonality that we were the only one or two of three women who chosen to not share a room with any other person. Uh, <laughs> so yes, we, we, we had that commonality and we did bounce on many, many, many bus seats uh, <laughs> all, all the way across the state of Kerala. And one of my fondest parts of that trip was at the um, Ayurvedagram in the, the last part of the journey, we shared a stoop, uh, which was a front porch and we'd sit out there together and, every woman seemed to flock towards that, that <laughs> step and we just laughed so much and shared stories and yeah I learned so much more about this lovely young talented courageous loving woman so as so I thought today I'd love to have Linda come and share some of her uh, life's journey with you um, you know because if I'd not cared to know more than the basics of you know the meet and greet that we had I'd not got to understand Linda's life journey and and I think in learning from another woman's journey, we learn a lot about ourselves and you know, maybe take more time to think about whether we can be more grateful about what we've got um, and even just yeah, pick up some tips from um, other people's experiences. So, uh, Linda, today I was thinking I'll get you to share a little of your own backstory with us um, rather than me do so. Okay. Um, and we'll just go with the flow a little bit. But I thought maybe... I'll just let you all know now, Linda lost her husband a year before we met and that was something she didn't share with me for a couple of days. And I remember when she did and I was like, oh my God, you know, how did I not know to ask something or find out that type of thing from someone? But yeah, Linda hiked 10 mountains in three weeks across the Swiss Alps to be alone with her grief. And she's been an actor and a songwriter. She's got the most beautiful voice. And um, yeah, so I thought that's just a bit of a brief Let's go with it and see where the chat takes us. Okay, Linda? Sure. Thank you, Sue. Okay. 
Yeah, so my I'm actually an immigrant. My parents are immigrants. My whole family are immigrants. I was one year old when we immigrated to America from a refugee camp on the border of Cambodia and Thailand. And so the way that I was brought into the world was very traumatic. My parents were fleeing the Khmer Rouge and that war and all of that turmoil and that part of the country for a long time. And so we had a very, I had a very traumatic childhood um, because they were, they didn't know the language very well. You know, we were very poor and there was, there were a lot of challenges for not just myself, but obviously my family in this country, but my parents worked their butts off and we went to school and my brother and I went to school and we excelled at what we thought we what we're supposed to do. And then I realized very early on that I was meant to be an artist of some sort. And I fell in love with music primarily, which led me to acting. Um, but I've always really been an artist at my heart, at my core. I still perceive myself that way. Um, even though I'm in the field of health and wellness now, I'm very driven artistically. And I still think that I inject some sort of degree of art into what I do. But that's how I met my, my late husband. He was a director. I was an actor. We were both in Los Angeles at the time. And um, yeah, we were friends for two years. And then we were friends for two years. And uh, then we started dating. And then we were together for six years, nearly six years. And then we very casually decided to get married. And two weeks later we did in our living room. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. There was, there was nobody there, which is exactly how we wanted it to be. We didn't even, you know, tell our parents until a few days before it happened. We didn't tell our friends until after it happened. Um, but that's exactly how we wanted it. And yeah. by the time that Matt and I got married, he was becoming inexplicably ill and I had been chronically sick for a very long time. So starting in my childhood, just because of the nature of the trauma of my childhood, um, you know, I developed insomnia and really, really severe digestive issues and hormonal problems. And they just became worse as I got older. So then I had just, you know, a laundry list of chronic conditions, um, fibromyalgia, hypothyroidism, you know, just adrenal fatigue, Oh my gosh, carpal tunnel. I mean, so many, so many things. And I was just very sick. But, you know, my husband, my late husband, Matt, was a director and he was working at Saturday Night Live. And so on paper, you know, his career was taking off. And I had just, I uh, was working as a personal assistant for a very long time and pursuing art, you know, because um, I wasn't living off my art. I was working part-time as a personal assistant and I finally left that job to build my own web design company so I could work for myself. And Matt and I got married. This happened all at the same time. And then his health just really took a nosedive and uh, literally the day. So we got married and a few weeks later we took, it was not a honeymoon. We took a vacation to Mexico because we wanted to do a real honeymoon in Europe the next, the following year. So we went on a vacation to Mexico and the day he got, we got back, my Matt got a CT scan and he'd been suffering from a cough for about 10 months. And he'd seen a lot of doctors in New York, a lot of doctors in Los Angeles and 
Nobody, because he was 37 at the time, assumed that it was cancer. So he never got scanned until the day we got back from our vacation in Mexico. And a few hours later, he got a phone call from our primary care doctor and said, you need to come into the office right away. And the radiology report revealed that his left, tum- his left kidney was basically all tumor. Oh, and wow. That, and that there was too much cancer in his lungs to count. So it was deep stage four kidney cancer. Renal cell carcinoma is what it's called. But had so it, that, sorry, had it started as lung cancer, had it? No, so it started kidney as kidney cancer. So oh. it had metastasized. It spread to his lungs. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And so, of course, our world completely fell apart. Mm. And the, the prognosis for stage four kidney cancers is two to five years. Five if you're lucky. And kidney cancer, kidney cancer ha, is very difficult to treat in Western, in the eyes of Western medicine. So there's not a lot of treatment oper, um, opportunities, even just availability. I mean, there's just a few treatment options. And so it's sort of a, it's a, a very elusive to Western medicine. And it's a very aggressive cancer. And mm-hmm. so we spent two years battling his cancer. And I was still sick. And after that diagnosis, of course, my stress went through the roof and then all of my chronic conditions got worse. So I was in debilitating pain. I couldn't move both of my thumbs for two years. I had to get surgery on my left hand because it was so bad. Like I I could literally like brush up against something on my left hand. It would shoot just like level 10 pain. So, and I tried everything. I mean, I spent two, I just, I tried everything, steroids, shots, you know, all sorts of pills and therapies, acupuncture, physical therapy. And it just, it never got better. And so I got surgery on that hand and just a lot. We were both fighting really, really dark demons. And Mm. miraculously though, our love really expanded. We bonded so much during those two years. We came together in a way that... I mean, it's hard to even describe the love that we had. It was so impenetrable. It was so expansive Um, because it was true devotion. You know, it was a real, you know, till death do us part. And we lived that every, every moment of every day. And it opened not just my heart, that experience, but my body. And so a year into our fight with his cancer, I enrolled into the Institute for Integrative Nutrition because I started to become very curious about holistic health. You know, I'd already spent years trying to figure out for myself how to get better because I was dealing with decades of chronic conditions. And then obviously my husband had cancer. So health and wellness just became my world. Everything in my world was about health and wellness. And so, and it, it fascinated me and I enrolled into the Institute for Integrative Nutrition with the idea of eventually becoming some sort of a health coach. And his, there was a moment in the beginning where it looked like Matt's health was getting better. And then he went back so much so that he was cleared to go back to work. So we moved to New York city and he did his final season at Saturday night live. Yeah. With cancer, which is Uh amazing. Yeah. And so, um, we finished that, he finished that season and we came back to LA to try some therapies cause he was running, he was running out of treatment options very quickly. 
And so we're doing a lot of holistic alternative therapies as well. You know, he was, he met me halfway. I did not want him to do all the chemo, all the radiation, et cetera. Um, but he came from a very conventional um, Oklahoma <laughs> Midwestern upbringing. And so he really wanted to at least wanted at least some sort of conventional Western medicine. So he met me halfway and he did both, which was great. So we met it at all. I mean, we did everything. We literally did everything. And when we got back, the, by the time he ended, by the time May is the last month of the SNL season and come May, his health, the scans were really abysmal. You know, they, it had spread, it had spread everywhere to his skin, to his liver, to his spleen, to his stomach, to his spine. And, but we had, we had already planned our honeymoon. So we decided (laughs) to say F you cancer. And we went on a honeymoon anyways. And that was also amazing because he was really sick and we took all his chemotherapy with us and, we traipsed around Europe for weeks. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I Even know. while he was sick, how did he go with that? It was great. I mean, we, there, we couldn't do everything. We did a lot, and he was exhausted, but he wanted to do as much as possible. Oh, and we did. Yeah. Yeah, honestly. So I remember, man, it was like, what, hour, like 10 or 12 of Versailles, and he was just like tapping me, just like, a, you know, like, this, I'm done. Um but yeah, it was an, it was an amazing honeymoon and it was an amazing trip. And when we, but that's really when his, it was just, it wasn't anything but bad news. You know, every single scan, every single visit to the doctor was more bad news. And then it spread to his brain uh-huh. and yeah, so it was literally everywhere. And then that became just sort of a downward spiral, but interesting enough because our love really started to reshape my entire core, my entire being. Um, my health actually started to improve as his health worsened because I started to have these epiphanies. I started to have these breakthroughs as I was enrolled in the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. I was learning about self-healing. I was learning about the mind-body connection. I was learning about the power of love, like literally the power of love like chemically what it does, you know, Mm. to the physical self and just chose to believe instead of leaning on, you know, my logical side that would say, well, I need more research. I need more proof. I need more (laughs) evidence. Right. (laughs) Thankfully I'm a left and right brainer. Thankfully. Um, But I just decided to, you know, I'm going to believe, I'm just going to believe I'm going to have faith that actually I can, even in these dark, really challenging, very difficult times that I can actually learn how to love myself more. And I had these really powerful, I mean, literally life altering epiphanies about my own health, about why I was chronically sick for decades, why I tried everything after years and years and years of seeing every doctor, doing all the diets, trying all the supplements, taking all the medications, doing all the treatments that I had never actually healed. And a few months, literally three months before he died, I just, I had a series of three breakthroughs and little, little by little, but also very rapidly. It was almost like, you know, the, the Russian doll set, you know, the layers when you pull off the layers, but that's how it felt like the healing. I I, I healed my my body actually healed itself. And so by the time Matt passed, 90% of my symptoms had disappeared on their own without medical intervention. So Western medicine calls that spontaneous remission. 
But I, for me, I know it wasn't spontaneous. I actually had just realized that I was doing the wrong healing work. <laughs> you know, I was looking for all the answers outside of myself, but actually all of the healing work was within. Mm. And so I just, I learned how to open my heart. I learned how to really trust my spirit again. I learned how to reconnect with myself. I learned how to trust in love. And that's what really allowed me to heal. And by the time that he died, Oh, and when he died, you know, the manner in which he died was, was really traumatic. It was unexpected in the sense that his hospice nurse and I knew that the end was coming. We, we both agreed he had probably two to three months left. Okay. And literally the day after we had the conversation, he passed. Oh. And yeah, and it was a really violent and literally bloody death. Um, it went on for eight hours and it, he didn't want to go. He fought and he fought and he fought and he fought and it was brutal. It was really brutal to watch him struggle that much to, to hang on to life. That's what it was. Cause you could see, literally you could see his body breaking, falling apart, literally falling apart. And he could, he just fought. He would not let go of life. He wasn't, it was, yeah. What, yeah. What did you he think did it not. was that he was holding on to? Me, honestly, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, his family, just his love, his passion for art, you know. And uh, so right after he died, literally right after he died, moments after he died, I was standing at, the, at his feet looking at his dead body. He had taken his last breath, and I heard very, very subtly but very clearly the words, I'm okay. And I knew immediately, I mean, I just knew it was his voice. I knew it wasn't some fabric. I just knew it was him. I knew that he had somehow reached me and that he wasn't actually gone. And I also knew that I needed to get away. I needed to not be in Los Angeles. I needed to not be around people. I didn't even want to be around my family and friends. I just needed time by myself. And I had developed a really profound connection with the mountains. And Matt and I had spoken um, about taking a trip to Switzerland together because we both wanted to go. And so I put, I bought a flight to Switzerland and I decided I knew also I needed to move. I needed to move. I needed to, that was because movement is extremely therapeutic for me. Physically move. Not yeah. Yeah. Physically. Yeah. Not physically. Move. Yeah. yeah. Not geographically move, but physically no. move the body. And so I decided to take a three week hiking trip of the Swiss Alps by myself and, and summit three, excuse me, summit 10 mountains in the Alps. And I did. So I went, I'd never been to the Switzerland. I didn't bring hiking poles. I brought one backpack, um, one pair of hiking shoes and my, my heart, you know, and my lap and my iPad. And I wrote and I hiked and I wrote and I hiked and I cried and I spoke to him and about halfway through the trip, he came to me and I saw him and it, it honestly, I, so I had spent most of my life as an atheist um, and then kind of, kind of an agnostic person towards the end of his life, but never, not, never religious, absolutely the farthest from religious. And, but after hearing him speak to me, hearing him say, I'm okay. I mean, I just knew it was just undeniable. You know what I mean? You know, your husband's presence, you know, your husband's voice. And when he speaks to you, you there's just no question. Mm. 
I've heard that through other women too who've um, lost husbands in their last year, how that even the husbands try to trip them up in a way, (laughs) (laughs) strangely, having physical accidents sort of like is get the message, honey. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this is funny. So Matt had an, he was obsessed with horror movies. That was a genre that he just had a, a profound romance with. And he was actually writing a horror movie script before he died and was wanting to produce horror movies. But before he passed, I would say like a month or so before he passed, he made the joke. He's like, Linda, when I die, I'm going to haunt you. Uh, and <laughs> it wasn't like mean. It was just to be funny. you know. Yeah. But he did. I mean, he did. So after he died, um, I mean, before I even saw him when I was in my home, I mean, there were things that I remember about a week after his, he died, his friends and his family just hung around. We all just wanted to be with each, with each other. So nobody left right away. And I put a picture of him there's a picture of him in our living room and his best friend was talking one of his best friends was talking and when he was talking they said Matt's name the picture fell over and everybody was like what (laughs) you guys see that yeah um so yeah in Switzerland he came to me we spoke uh, it's called a visitation dream and um I had dreamt about him so many times previous to that. It was two months before, uh, after he passed. I dreamt about him probably every single night. And I knew instantaneously when he appeared in the stream that it wasn't a dream. And it was, it was him. We were in a white, completely white space. Yeah. And where, and where were you at the time? I was in Switzerland. I was in this place called Chazarug. Yeah. And incidentally, it was after my favorite hike. Incidentally, it was right the evening after my favorite hike where wow. I literally sat on the side of this mountain and like cried for like 45 minutes. It was so beautiful and so moving and so soul just like soothing. Um, but yeah, the first thing I said to him when I saw Matt, I said, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, where are you? I mean, that because that was the question in my mind for two months. Where did he go? Because yeah. I knew he wasn't gone. I felt him behind me. I felt him behind my right shoulder. I felt him so prominently behind my right shoulder that I got his initials tattooed there. Oh, wow. Yeah. What did he, what did he say? Where was he? He, just, he said, death brought me here. And I just, I knew instantaneously, I just knew that he meant that place, like sort of that spirit realm or whatever, you know. Now yeah. I can call it that because now I understand it, mm. that, that that's what he meant. Um, and then we talked, you know, he said he visited his mom and I mean, we just talked and it was short, but we kind of caught up and I was just like, shock isn't the right word. I mean, it was just so overcome with emotion. I was so overcome with joy, honestly, joy to see him, to know not only that he was okay, but to see him whole and pure and beautiful and vibrant and then he hugged me and it was like this, it was the best hug I've ever had in my life. You know, it was just filled with love. It was just filled with absolute, pure, unconditional, infinite love. And, and the universe changed. It literally broke open the universe. And I started to do a deep vibe, a deep dive into the afterlife. And I started to study Buddhism because I wanted to know. I needed to know. I became very curious, you know, like, really. Yeah what's out there and not in a religious way, but just in from a a purely curious, I want to know. I mean, I've seen it now. So I, now I want to know more and, you know, Buddhists don't believe in a soul. And so that's how I got into Hinduism. 
And then I fell in love with the philosophy. I fell in love with everything. And then that's brought me into Ayurveda. And then I decided to study Ayurveda. And so I would, then I decided to go back to school again. So I re-enrolled into the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And so I went simultaneously, I went back to school to get certified as a health coach and then get certified as an Ayurvedic counselor. And then that's how we met. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was a pretty, um, it's a, a massive journey in that year after he passed and and obviously you and I have known each other for a few years now. Has, yeah. um, has he hung around you since? Is he still there? Or yeah. what was the point, do you feel, of him coming to you? Like, obviously he didn't want to pass before he passed. Yeah. And then he came to you. Did, yeah. What do you feel that was about? His not wanting to let go of life. Still, yeah. Um, I know it's because he knew, I know that he felt like there was more that he wanted to do with his work, with his art. Mm. And obviously just with me and our life, I and mean, we were creating a really incredible, I mean, just a dream life, honestly, you know, I mean, he was living not just anybody's dreams, but he was, you know, like 1%, you know what I mean? Like getting to a place where most people in our life will never get to. Yeah. And that's what's really heartbreaking in a sense that he not only was so brilliant and talented at what he did, but that everybody that he worked with loved him because he was honestly just in love with the art, period. It had yeah. nothing to do with the money. It had nothing to do with the fame. He just loved making movies more than anything. He loved telling stories. He loved the visual aspect of it. He loved the musical aspect of it. He loved the writing. I mean, he just loved everything about it. Mm. And he was incredibly talented. And I know, so the last week that he died, when he was in hospice, when he could watch anything, he watched his, his work, his life's work. He literally watched everything he ever made. Yeah. And just as like pride and also uh, sort of just to get a, you know, a breath of his own journey, you know, of where he started and where he got to. And that was one of the greatest tragedies about his death was that here was this just unbridled talent, you know, mm. and, and the, this unbridled talent without absolutely zero ego had had no interest in fame, had no interest in fame. Yeah. And have you um, proceeded with writing the book? You were writing a book about him. When yes. are we going to write a book? Yeah. I yes, I am going to write a book. Um, I'm going to write a book. I am going to start this book this year. Well, I'm going to start the book proposal this year because I've actually already started the book. Okay. So I'm going to start the book proposal this year. But you know, I have other things. I also want to do my own podcast this year. So, <laughs> but yeah. the book is really important to me. The book is really massively important to me because it's not just my story, but it's our story. It's his story. Yeah. Um, and it's everybody's story, really. And and Linda, as you since then. What's Linda? What's Linda's life about? Linda ha is really on, is really a different person, you know, since Matt passed, um, because he has continued to visit me. So it wasn't just a okay. one-time visitation. Um, and I do call on him when I need him, and he is always there. I mean, it just happened as recently as a few months ago. I remember the beginning of the year. Um, well, shortly after, I would say the first year that he passed, he was always there. It was constant and he would turn lights on and off. He would, I mean, just very, very supernatural things would happen and they weren't at all scary. I just knew 
I, you know, knew that most of it was him and other things were just me opening up to spirit, to, you know, everything else that we can't see, you know? Mm. So none of it was scary for me, but that's actually very ironic because for the majority of my life, I was terrified of ghosts. So that's another now Linda, that wasn't old Linda and that was a new Linda. So I'm not scared <laughs> of ghosts anymore. Old Linda was very scared of ghosts, <laughs> but <laughs> But yeah, I, you know, my life is entirely different now. I live in, I live in Ohio, which is a very small town in Southern California, sort of, sort of Southern central coast, California. Um, I've lived in big cities for the most, for like 95% of 90. I mean, just except for the past six months, I've lived in big cities. Okay. So that's a big change. Um, you know, my, my world is really about health and wellness and you know, I'm building this online business for myself as a holistic wellness coach, you know, and I specialize in women dealing with trauma and chronic conditions, which is exactly what I went through. So I'm really trying mm -hmm. to turn my grief into purpose. And it's a really satisfying and also fortunate opportunity for me to be here doing this and taking this pain and turning it into something beautiful, I hope, and, and helping other people in the process. So I feel very grateful to be in this position, even though it was a road of hardship and tragedy. Yeah. Cause your, your, um, path wouldn't have come, come this way if no, no. no you weren't going to go towards, um, the health. You know, art, art, art was always my, yeah. art was always my, and it's still my passion. And yeah. it's still a big part of who I am. I just, it just uh, comes out of me in different ways now, but really my driving, my driving force at this point in my life is helping other women you know, mm. is, is shining is, is guiding women to their own light, to their own truth so that they can achieve their own breakthrough so that they can heal um, so that, that they can turn their pain into their own purpose. Yeah, so I think you and I were talking earlier about that in terms of what's happening. Um, obviously, COVID-19 is a topic that is coming up a lot in each of our chats at the moment. And you're yeah. saying that the US, um, as compared to Australia, the US is struggling with it in their healthcare system. Um, so how are you adapting your life at the moment to be able to support women in relation to that? Well, so I've really sort of revamped my services to offer sliding scale coaching packages and coaching sessions for people with chronic or pre-existing conditions that are unable to get healthcare at this time, which is unfortunately the case in America. Our healthcare system, our hospitals, our healthcare practitioners are completely overwhelmed with this virus, with taking care of people. And so I know that there are people with you know, non-life-threatening conditions or issues or problems that just can't receive help and care at this time. So yeah. I've sort of shifted my focus away from a very niche trauma um, and working in that intuitive healing space, self-healing space, and sort of opening it up because I am a certified health coach that right. I want to be able to, I want to be able to offer these, these people. I mean, not just women at this time, but these people, some sort of support as the, not just the country, but the world is really struggling with, with the effects of this virus. Yeah. So what, what do you feel the, um, was it the, um, in relation to, again, the virus and the, what's happening as far as it being um, dramatic events? Um, you know, what lessons do you think the world could learn from, what's happening right now gosh one of them is can we learn from our mistakes 
<laughs> Some people can. <laughs> but I just, I feel history repeats itself, you know, not mm -hmm. just in terms of the pandemic, but just in terms of the human condition of humanity, of overlooking just the well-being of not only our immediate communities, which is our family, our friends, our loved ones, our co-workers, et cetera, but just our larger communities, our nation, our world. And how can we collectively come together, not only to benefit ourselves at this immediate time to come out of this crisis whole, healthy, okay, but how can we improve ourselves? How can we create a better nation, world, a global community where something like this can't actually happen again, where we all have healthcare, where we all have, you know, not just as the individual, we feel like we have the opportunity to feel cared for, not just by our family and loved ones, but by our government, by our nation, by our global community, but also for the people working in healthcare, that they feel supported, that they feel that they have their resources and that they're also supported, not just by the government, but by us mm. people. Yeah. And I'm feeling it here in Australia. We're definitely feeling that, um, to me, Australia is uniting a lot more. Um, I think there's just that disappointment of people still sort of pushing the boundaries and, um, you know, still going out, still doing things that they've been asked not to do. And, you know, the impact of that on the rest of the nation is disappointing that they're not seeing that there is a way for us to be able to stop this thing. But until people stop and actually pay attention, yeah. it's just going to keep on trickling along. But, I mean, you're in a much bigger... Um, more populated area than we are. Yeah. yeah. You know. we're, it's tough, you know, we're much, much more vulnerable, but we also, at the same time, I feel like because we are a greater mass here, we have more power. I mean, we can, there's more energy here. There's more drive here. If we really can commune together and serve a single purpose at this time. Yeah. So, and, and also too, I hope it gives us an opportunity to actually take a look at our health, <laughs> you know, to really examine how we take care of ourselves. What is yeah. self-care for the average American to the average human being on this planet yeah. in the world? And are we, you know, if something like this happens, you know, I've even questioned myself in times of paranoia. I mean like, Oh my gosh, did I get it? Did I just, did I expose myself? Am I sick? Cause I'm a very healthy person now. I'm healthier now than I've ever been in my life. And I, mm. Absolutely intend to be like this for the rest of my life. I know what the other side is like. I know that that's not what is normal, you know? Yes. We're not meant to suffer. We're not built to suffer physically, mentally, emotionally. It's not supposed to be chronic. The body, the heart, the mind, we're so resilient as beings. And I do hope that this crisis gives us an opportunity to take a, take a mirror to ourselves and, yes. and see how we're taking care of ourselves. Yeah. Um. Well, where can we go to from here? Is there anything you, you would like to share otherwise <laughs> that I haven't asked? I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up soon because we'll, we'll go into like what your favourite quote is and why is your favourite yeah. quote and also um, end on what your favourite song is. But is there anything that you would um, like to raise that I haven't asked? I don't think so. I think I've been quite chatty. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was your favourite part of the um, Kerala trip? There we go. Oh, I mean, you, of course, that's a genuine <laughs> answer. It really is a genuine answer because, you know, I'm an introvert. I just, the moment that I, you know, the moment that I saw there's a large group of people, it was like 25, 29 people or something mm -hmm. there. 
and not a single person did I know and not a single person did I ever, I mean, it's just as an introvert, it's just like kind of a nightmare, you know, you're in this foreign country and you're on a bus with so many different people that you don't know. And like, you're being asked to like be extroverted. So my favorite part was really honestly, by the end of it, you know, just really developing those friendships with these remarkable women with these remarkable stories from around the world and having that experience on in a foreign land where I was also learning about something that I was, that was also intrigued by, which is Ayurveda and getting, you know, holistic healthcare. And there were just, it was a multidimensional trip, yeah. but definitely my favorite part was people. Of course, I think always at the end, you know, I think everybody says that about an experience is connection. Mm. It was such a lovely connection for me too, because obviously like, you know, I've worked in um, companies and you tend to just work, work, work and stick to being that person. And yeah, going out there, that was me a hundred percent stepping outside my comfort zone to get on a plane or by myself to India <laughs> and, and, and then realize that I was the only person that wasn't studying Ayurveda. I'm like, Oh my God, what should I just sign up for? <laughs> but I did learn a lot. And um, yeah. And obviously there's a lot of love that passed around yeah. that, that, um, yeah. that stoop in the afternoons that um, we, were get, we were getting into trouble for a lot, but <laughs> <laughs> we had to do it all over again the same way I would do it. I think exactly. so. I don't think they'd ever get us to stay silent. So mm. No. And how dare they even try? Oh my God. <laughs> so what is your favorite quote? Linda? My favorite quote is from my favorite book, which is the little prince. Um, and it says what it says, it is only with the heart that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. And I read that book basically every single year. It's a very short book, but it's my favorite book. Oh, I haven't read that before. I have heard of it though, but yeah. It's lovely. It's a fable. It's a very charming, very sweet book, but it always warms my heart. Oh, I do like a fable. They, they definitely resonate with me too when I, I read books like that. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite song? So that's a hard question because I'm, I'm such a music fanatic and um, – I just, I, I chew through new music quite frequently. So it's, and there are old songs that I revisit and love, but to say that it sort of changes with my mood, but there is one song that I would say that's my favorite song because of its nostalgic value to me, um, its significance in my childhood. And it's also just a beautiful song, but Stand By Me by Ben E. King. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's an oldie. I've got a feeling we um, sung that on the bus. We did. We probably (laughs) did. But we weren't doing curtains or whatever they call them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a lovely song. Okay. I might listen to that afterwards. So, yeah. Um, Hey, um, thank you so, so much. You know, you you shared a lot in in that little time slot that we've had. Um, But I think it is a benefit to people because there are people or women out there who've also experienced a high of where they were going with their relationship and the love and having it shot down or taken out from under their feet. Um, So yeah, they're not alone. um, I think is probably what the message of that is to me today is that thank you that you shared how you took it and how you changed with it and through it with, with um, him at the same time and, what you've done with it since so i think um yeah linda you're a beautiful woman and 
um, yeah, I think you can do a lot of good for, with the world and for women. So Thank I really you. appreciate your time today. Thank you, Sue. It's my pleasure to be here. It's an honor, honestly, just yeah. to be in your life. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Well, love to you. And um, yeah, I'll see you on a stoop anywhere in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Back at you. Back at you. Okay. All right. Well, we'll wind up and yeah, I might go and have a listen to that song. Thank you. I'll um, finish off. <laughs>